couple of years ago, I was uh, waiting for my car, getting an oil change done in my car, and waiting in the sitting room of my mechanic, and reading a book, and kind of listening to the TV that's on, that was on in the sitting room. And it was a morning show that was on one of the main network stations, and, uh, and they, they gave this stunning stat, I thought it was stunning, threw out this number that, I can't remember what it was, but tens of millions of Americans suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder. It's 40, 50, 60 million, some huge number. And that was adults, age 18 and up. And then they said, and 20% of teens struggle with ang- some kind of anxiety disorder as well. And I thought to myself, that is insane. That's, that's a big percentage of adults. That's a large percentage of teens. Um, you know, this m- makes perfect sense without, in a society that's rejecting God, quite frankly. Um, I mean, think about the cultural upheaval in our nation right now the racial tensions, the cop killings, the moral revolution that just seems to be steamrolling through our nation with the redefinition of marriage and the transgenderism, all of this. I mean, just such upheaval in our culture. Add to that the political uncertainty. This past election was so chaotic and vitriolic and unsettling for many people. Even since the elections, there are protests and concerns about Supreme Court appointees. There is just a lot of uncertainty. Add to that the spiritual confusion that is rampant in our country. More and more people are spiritual, but decidedly not Christian. They want God, but they want a God of their own making and on their own terms. And They don't want a God who gives commands and tells them what to do. And so there's all this spiritual confusion as well. And then add to that just all of our own personal failures and anxieties and troubles. I mean, the the dozens and even hundreds, perhaps, of our own the, the stuff that every individual person deals with. I mean, all of these things, and then you add to that the so- social media and the internet and the 24-7 news cycle, and there's just massive convergence of all these things that creates this perfect storm where now we live in, in an anxiety-riddled nation. I mean, people's nerves are frayed and fragile As, um, as, as I approached today, thinking about this passage, it became more and more evident that, for me, that this message was not as much for you as it is for me. When I think about anxiety out there, sometimes it's easy for me to forget about the anxieties that I struggle with. But I know my own weakness. I know my own frailty. And so I ask this question, with all of this out there and all of this internal anxiety inside in me, how can we become Psalm 125 verse 1 people? 
Psalm 125 verse 1 says, Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. How can we become these kinds of people? Do you guys agree with me that there is insanity and craziness in our culture? And do you guys agree with me that, that we ourselves have our own anxieties and troubled hearts within us? How can we become the kind of people that are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever? In the midst of all the upheaval, how do we be, become and remain sane? In the midst of all the what seems to be more and more inhumanity, how do we remain humane? How do we live with courage? How do we, think of it this way, how do we become part of the solution instead of just contributing to the problem? <clears throat> you know, there's, there's upheaval, there's, and we can just kind of add fuel to the fire or we can seek by God's grace to be part of the solution that God has in the world. And verse 6 of our text says this. This is how. He will be the stability of your times. Massive instability, external and internal. I don't know about you, but I feel it. All the insecurities I struggle with, all of the things I can get anxious about in regards to my family, in regards to my finances, in regards to the ministry, in regards to all kinds of things, and then all the external things, And yet, verse 6 says, He will be the stability of your times. Hear that again. He, God, will be the stability of your times. That's how we can be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. In the context of this verse, we have Judah in fear, King Hezekiah, Because King Sennacherib of the Assyrians is about to invade them. There's great turmoil. And the prophet Isaiah, speaking for God, says, God, the Lord himself, will be the stability of your times. The word that immediately stands out to me is stability. Stability, firmness, steadiness, steadfastness. The opposite of which is wavering and shifting and frailty and weakness. He will be the stability of your times. What times? All of your times. From today to the, to the very end of your life, He will be the stability of your times. I think of the vows that a husband and a wife make to each other to be committed to each other for richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, in good times and in hard times, till death do us part. I think God will be the stability of our times when we're rich or poor, when we're sick or we're healthy, when things in our mind are going well or they're going very poorly. He will be the stability of your times. And I love how it says, He Himself will be the stability of your times. God does not plan to give you something else to stabilize you. He intends to give you himself to be 
your stability. Sometimes we want God to give us something other than what he really wants to give us, namely himself. When there's all kinds of turmoil and anxiety, external and internal. We want all kinds of things, but he wants to give us himself. So as I approach today, two days ago, becoming more and more evident, as God is dealing with anxieties in my life, yesterday became more evident, last night even more evident, this morning bubbling over. It's like, oh my goodness, don't take this wrong. I mean, hopefully you don't. Sometimes I'm a mess. Sometimes I'm an anxious mess. I probably do a good job at showing you that I'm not. But God sees inside of me. God sees all of the anxieties and difficulties. All of the things that swirl around in my mind that cause unrest in my soul. And so this morning is like, oh God, this is so for me. And I just hope you're encouraged by it too. (laughs) I hope it's also for you. I want to, I want to tell you three ways. I want to give you three ways this morning how God is the stability of your times and my times. This is what I am learning, and I hope it's encouraging to you too. God is the stability of our times or in our times because he is one, the exalted king over the universe. Two, because he is totally for us in Christ. And three, because he is with us forever. Number one, God himself, the Lord himself, is the stability of your times every time, all of your times, now to the end of your life and even into eternity, because God is the king over all that he has made. Verse 5 tells us the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. English translators have done us a great service in your New Testament or in your Bibles, in your English Bibles. If you ever see Lord all capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the English translators have done that to show us this indicates it is God's proper name. It is God as Yahweh. It is God's name, like my name is Joshua, or your name is Amanda, or Jenny, or Alyssa, or Luke. Okay, we have our proper names. This is God's proper name. The Lord is exalted. The Lord is exalted. He is Yahweh. This is his name. When Moses said to God, when God revealed himself in the burning bush, who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent me? What did God tell him? Tell him, I am sent you. Tell him the Lord has sent you. Tell him Yahweh has sent you. That God is... The Lord means that he has no beginning. He has no end. 
He is absolute reality. He is totally and completely independent of everyone and everything. And yet everyone and everything is totally dependent upon him. I think of Paul when he's preaching to a group of smart philosophers in Athens. He says, for in him, in God or in the Lord, we live and move and have our being. The Lord is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. And he is the most important and most valuable person in the universe. He is the Lord And he is exalted and it is him, it is this Lord who will be the stability of your times. But he reveals himself through Isaiah as the Lord who is exalted. He is exalted. This speaks of his majesty and his authority. Like a king's throne which is elevated on a platform, the Lord is exalted, for it goes on to say, for he dwells on high. When you think of God, listen to me, when you think of God, we just had a president elected a couple of weeks, or this last week, new president elected. And we all think, okay, this person's really going to affect our lives. Their governance over our nation is going to affect us. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the Lord, do you think of him as king? Over everything. That everyone who rules over us or everything that happens to us or everything that we go through is governed by the king of the universe. Not the other way around. He is not governed by other people or other things. He is king over the universe. His throne is not a little elevated, but is above the entire earth. I love Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is one of those chapters. If you have 20 minutes today, 10 minutes even, go home and read it. It's so encouraging. Listen to what it says. Do you not know? Do you not hear? This is verse 21 to 26. Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, the Lord, who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like little grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them. And they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes. I love that. Lift up your eyes to behold this Lord who is exalted and who dwells on high. With all the tumult going on down here on earth, and there is lots of it, With all the anxiety, there has never, ever, ever been an anxious moment in heaven. Ever. With all the conspiring that goes on down here, there's never been a plan B in heaven's boardroom. 
There has never been a nervous sweat. God is never wringing his hands, wondering what to do next. And this, brothers and sisters, ought to give us great encouragement because this is the Lord who is the stability of your times. Theologians talk about God's attribute of immutability, that he is the Lord who does not change. James tells us this in the New Testament when he says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His reign, his authority, his kingdom is an everlasting dominion or kingdom, and it's the only kingdom that can be spoken in that way. The truth of God's kingship and sovereignty over all of his creation has been a bedrock truth that saints from all ages have found comfort in. Psalm 4610. You guys know this? I'm going to say it. I think you'll probably know it. Finish it with me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Ephesians 1 says, God, the Lord, this sovereign Lord, this King over all the universe, who is the stability of your times, He works all things after the counsel of His own will. Jonathan Edwards um, said this, the, the church makes her boast of God, not only as being her help by defending her from desolations and calamities which the rest of the world are involved in, but also by supplying the church as a never-failing river with refreshment, with comfort and joy in times of calamity and difficulty and tumult. Guys, we are never more sane. We are never more sane than when we lift our eyes to heaven and focus our attention on our King who reigns over everything. We are never more in our right mind than when we acknowledge our Lord as King over the universe. Charles Spurgeon said there is no attribute. I I hope this is true of you. I I want this to be true of, of you. I want this so to be true of you. Not because it helps answer every question, but because it gives great comfort and encouragement. He says there's no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstance, in the most severe trial, they believe that sovereignty overrules and that sovereignty will sanctify them. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of his hands, the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. It is God upon the throne whom we trust. Is it God upon the throne? Whom you trust? Is it God upon the throne who gives you certainty and stability no matter what is going on? No matter how insane things appear 
to be. Let's turn our attention to the Lord, Yahweh, who is exalted and who reigns on high. But there's more. The one who is our stability is exalted. He is the exalted Lord. But get this. This king who rules over all, he is big, he is gigantic, he's enormous, he is massive. I mean, he is... Isaiah 40 goes on to say, speaking about the stars, the host by night, he calls them all out by night. I just had this picture in my mind, like I call my dog to come to me. God is calling all the stars to come out every night. And each one of them is named. All 700 trillion stars or whatever, they're all named by God. And yet this God is for you. This God is for you. When it says in Isaiah 40 that he sits above the circle of the earth and all the inhabitants of the earth are like little grasshoppers, we shouldn't take that to mean that, you know, I don't like grasshoppers. I don't try to squish them, but if there's one in my house, it's going to get squished. I'm not going to pick it up and throw it out. Silas would, but I wouldn't. I don't like touching grasshoppers. We shouldn't take that to mean that God dislikes human beings. They're just like little puny, insignificant nobodies, grasshoppers. No, God is for you. If if God were merely the king of the universe, but you weren't sure that he was for you, or I wasn't sure he was for me, that would not be happy news. Would it? But the happy song of every saint assured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not your own assurance you create, but assurance that comes to us through the gospel, the happy song of every saint is, this I know, God is for me. This I know, God is for me. Whatever else I may not know, and there's lots I don't know, but this I know, God is for me. And how do I know this? How do I know God is for me? Do I look at my circumstances? Do I look at things going on in the culture and say, this I know, God is for me. I look at my circumstances, this I know, God is for me. Unfortunately, we we can't do that. Oftentimes, we wouldn't come to that conclusion. Do I look at Facebook for assurance of God's being for me? I don't know about you, but the more I'm on Facebook, the more, more, more anxious I get. Do I look to the evening news? Do I look to the approval of others? No. Do I listen to inner voices telling me one day he's for me and the next day he is so not for me? No, we don't, do, we don't look to any of these things. We look to the cross. We look to the cross and we look only to the cross. Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's, that's right. He's for us. That's what we want to know. Is he for me? He's for me. Yes. 
But then it goes on to say, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, give us all things? If we want to know whether, if we want to know that God is for us, we look to the cross. I don't know about you, I, I look to others so often. I look to circumstances. I look inward. I, I look inside of myself. I look at my performance. Is God for me? Doing good today? Think he is? I'm not doing good today. He is not. We must look to the cross and only to the cross and always to the cross. At the cross, I see a holy God smiling at me, an undeserving sinner. At the cross, I see a God who is holy and righteous and judge and also my father who loves me. At the cross, I see justice satisfied because of my sin. God's justice satisfied, which must be satisfied because of my sin. And I also see God's mercy unleashed upon the undeserving and the ungodly. It is the gospel that gives us this stability. Do you find the gospel to give you this stability? Or are you tossed here and there with every wave and wind of new teaching or new trouble or new difficulty, new thing that comes out, new thing that happens, new news that comes out? It's only the gospel that gives us it's the gospel that gives us this stability. My hope, the old hymn says, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. Colossians 1, Paul says, talks about the believers in Colossae. And he tells them the good news. And he says, this good news is for you if you remain steadfast and stable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. The moment I shift from the hope of the gospel, the moment I shift from my hope being in Christ, the moment I shift from a cross-centered focus, I become unstable. I become unstable. Colossians 2, 7 says, as you've Come to Christ, so be built up in him, or be, be built up in him, rooted and established in Christ or in, and in your faith. Hebrews 6 talks about an anchor for our souls. You and I are never more sane than when we focus our gaze upon the cross. 
where we see there God for us, not sparing his own son. And if you question whether or not God's for you, whether if, if today you're like, yeah, I get it, I get it, but I, I have this uncertainty in me, what more should God do? What more could he do? That's why Paul says he didn't spare his own son. If he didn't spare his own son, how will he not also give you everything with him? Let's fix our attention there. The one who is our stability, he will be the stability of your times. He is the exalted Lord who is king over the universe. He is for you. He is for us. And he is also with us. He is also with us. The real, personal, present, risen Christ with us. He's real, right? Is that an idea? He's personal. He's not impersonal. He's present. The promise of Jesus was, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And he is alive. And he is with us. I couldn't think of anything more unsettling for the first group of disciples who were with Jesus than Jesus telling them things like, I'm going to go away. I've been with you for three years now, but I'm going away. And you're not going to see me anymore. Many of you, or all of you actually, are going to fall away from me. The shepherd's going to be struck. I'm going to be struck. And the sheep are going to be scattered. Thanks for those encouraging words, Jesus. That's helpful, right? He goes on to say, you will be hated by the world. In the world, you're going to have lots of trouble. And then on Good Friday, he died. He was gone. It was over. All of their hopes and aspirations that they had placed on Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, it was gone. It was over. But he had promised them the deepest comfort. He told them that it was better for them that he went away. He promised them that he would not leave them as orphans, but that he would come to them. The presence of God with his people has always been the distinguishing mark and the greatest prize of God's people. I'm going to say that again. The presence of God. Not the omnipresence of God, like he's everywhere all the time, because he's with everyone in that sense. But the, the felt, known, manifest, experienced presence of God has always been the most prized possession of God's people and the deepest comfort for them and the distinguishing mark of them. Moses spoke to God, the Lord, the sovereign one, the exalted one. Before 
when, when, when he knew we were, go, we were to go into the land of Canaan, and he said, oh, God, if you will not go with us, don't make us go. We're not going to go. And then he says, for how will the nations know that we are your people if you're not with us? Psalm 16, 8. David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Psalm 23, David said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Is God among us? Is the Lord with you? Do you know his nearness? All of these were Old Testament right, statements. I mean, Moses, David. Then on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his presence by his spirit and it changed everything. He came. All of a sudden, joy, courage, eternal comfort, along with lots of hardship and difficulties and destabilizing things. And yet, the Holy Spirit would be with them as their comforter, giving them joy and courage. I find this amazing. I I find this a, a worthy exercise for each one of us. God is not just with us, but he actually dwells in us. That's just amazing. He's not just, I mean, David said, you're at my right hand, at my right side. I'm not going to be shaken. I will go through the valley of the shadow of death, and I won't fear because you are with me. You're walking beside me. You are going before me. And all that's true, but he is in us, indwelling us. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, I mean, it says in Acts 2 that they were, the Holy Spirit fell and they were all filled with the Spirit, like you would be filled with wine or food. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know? that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Paul asks questions like this from time to time. And, and I think because people didn't know that. Christians didn't know that. Let me add, do you not know that you are God's temple? I'm, I'm saying this to me. Josh, don't you know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He is the stability of your times because he is with you and he is in you. I mean, if he was exalted God and he wasn't, but he wasn't for us, that'd be scary. If he was exalted God and for us, but not with us, I mean, it might give us some warm and fuzzy feelings that he's for us and we're going to be with him someday, but, okay, but he's with us and he's in us. 
I recognize the the danger of... um, I recognize the, the potential danger of getting all mystical and looking inward and trying to feel God's spirit. I, I get that, okay? And so I, I want to want us to but I want us to think about this. If God the Holy Spirit lives in us, should we know it? Experienced? I think I think we should. I think we should sense his nearness. That he's with us. That he's always with us. It's based on the work of Christ. It is because of the finished work of Jesus. And yet, he really is with us now. And he is, Jesus called him the helper. I mean, English standard version, or English standard ESV called, says helper. I think an NIV says helper. Some of the older translations say comforter. He is the comforter. He is the stability of your times. Without God, without God, this is where I was challenged early this morning. Early this morning. Without God, Josh, anxiety makes perfect sense. Without God, we're all just anxious wrecks. Or we're insane because we don't see life as it really is. But if it is true that God is sovereign and he is the king over the entire universe, and the gospel informs me because of the finished work of Jesus on my behalf to take take away the reproach of my sin, to bear my judgment for me that God is for me, And because of the finished work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been granted to me and he indwells me. Stability. Peace. And from there, think of the enormous responsibility that we have in this world to be part of the solution and not further contribute to the problem. There are times when Alyssa's gone and I have all the kids and I'm not used to that as much as she is and so I probably don't handle it the way that she does and it gets a little chaotic, you know. And instead of being the the calming influence, I raise my voice above them and and, uh, start calling out threats and and what does it do? It just exasperates the problem, right? And we can do that. We can do that in the workplace, in our marriage, with our children, with our neighbors. <clears throat> Get this? With, pe- with people who have different views of you politically. We can... We, we, can, we should be able to talk about things. We should be able to discuss things without a doubt. But we can just throw fuel on the fire. Rather than being the solution, God has given us the gospel. God has given us his spirit. 
And we are, rather than contributing to the problem, we are to be part of the solution. God has placed you in this world. And the reason why he hasn't taken you out yet and brought you to heaven, and as long as you are here and he gives you breath and the capacity to do so, you are to be part of the solution as things are more and more insane and people are more and more inhumane. We are to bring, we are to be sane and bring some sanity and we are to be the most humane people on the planet. Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Because the Lord who is exalted in the heavens and who is king over all is our stability, and he is for us, and he is with us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Father, I I pray for those of us gathered here today that these truths would be branded on our souls. That the truth of your sovereign authority and kingship over everything would be such a comfort to us. And God, we have unanswered questions about how that all works out. But God, may we just bow before you in the humble glad, comforting submission. God, the fact that you are for us, Lord, I pray when we hear whispers from the enemy or our own conscience calling into question whether or not you're for us, God, that we would look to Christ and the gospel alone and know that you're for us. And God, if there are some here today never repented, trusted in Jesus, surrendered their lives to him, I pray they would today. And Father, may we be absolutely convinced and seek to know more fully your presence with us. That we are never alone. I thank you that Isaiah 33, 6 is not a suggestion. It is a promise. He will be the stability of your times. In Jesus' name, amen.